Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. All right, time to get some groceries. If you look closely at the ingredients listed on most food packaging, you'll find a few variations on the phrase bioengineered food. Let's see. Contains bioengineered food ingredients. It's got a bioengineered logo right at the top. Derived from bioengineering. Contains bioengineered food ingredients. Bioengineered. Contains a bioengineered food ingredient. And what do you know? Bioengineered. Earlier this year, the United States Department of Agriculture put new rules into effect that require all foods that have been genetically modified or include GMO ingredients to be labeled as bioengineered. But soon, a new class of genetically altered food could be making its way onto grocery shelves, food that's been altered using a gene-editing tool called CRISPR. And proponents say it could make the food we eat taste better and be healthier. We found a, a relative of kale that has nutritional value like kale, but it, it itself didn't taste great. And we've removed the negative flavor and created something that eats like a lettuce that has really high nutritional value. That's Tom Adams, the CEO of Pearwise, a startup that is working to bring these new gene-edited foods to supermarket shelves. Adams says, unlike most GMOs, his products only have genes that naturally occur in their species. Ponzi Trevisavet is the CEO of Inari, which is developing crops that grow better without as much water or farmland. She says genetic engineering with CRISPR is like hitting the fast-forward button on conventional crop breeding, just removing the time and guesswork from developing new varietals. And she believes that is critical for feeding a world altered by climate change. What we know for sure is we can't predict what's going to happen. So would we like to actually solve the sustainability um, benefit in our lifetime, or would we give it to our next generations to solve it? From the Wall Street Journal, this is the future of everything. I'm Danny Lewis. Today, we're bringing you a conversation from the Global Food Forum in June, where Trevisavet and Adams discussed the future of food with WSJ Chicago Bureau Chief Joanna Cha. That's after the break. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. And now, here's the Wall Street Journal's Joanna Chung speaking with Tom Adams and Ponzi Trevisavet. We've edited their conversation for time and clarity. You both work in the gene editing business, but, you know, companies like Monsanto, Syngenta have been doing this and selling genetically modified crops for decades, right? So Ponzi, I mean, can you explain the difference between gene 
edited foods and what we've had for decades already. In a simple term, the definition of the GMO or genetically modified is essentially you insert the foreign gene into different species into the to the to the crop itself and the gene editing that we're doing here is essentially how do you unlock the full potential of existing species? So there's no insertion of the foreign gene. You try to actually take the existing genome and then make it express um, better. So that's essentially the definition of the gene editing. And there are quite a bit of pipelines of the products that are going to come out uh, within the next uh, one to three years. So that's the definition. So... You know, Ponzi, Tom, both of you are, and the rest of the industry, right, I, I think are, are working to persuade people, consumers, you know, all of us, that gene-edited foods are different than traditional GMOs. And I'm not sure that everyone buys that. Um, how do you, Tom, overcome the skepticism? Well, we've started off by focusing on traits and crops that um, create benefits for the consumer themselves. So really, one of the challenges of GMOs when we talk about them is we really did things in corn and soybean and fed it to pigs and chickens and cows and Mm -hmm. cars and not to people. So people couldn't really identify with the benefit that they created themselves. So we, we, when we started Pairwise, we um, put our own effort into developing consumer crops. Mm -hmm. So our, um, our first product that we'll be launching next year is a new type of leafy green um, we recognize that people are looking for healthier salads, but it tends to be that um, they talk about kale, but then they eat romaine lettuce, which doesn't have a lot of nutritional value. So but you're targeting basically like taste, basically? So we found a, a relative of kale that has nutritional value like kale, but it, it itself didn't taste great. And we've removed the negative flavor and created something that eats like a lettuce that has really high nutritional value. So we're giving the consumer a benefit. And we're following with other products. So like, your, your approach is to overcome the skepticism by trying to convince people that... It, by giving them something that they, they will enjoy. Yeah, for us, it's actually the, the, other, the other end of it. We focus um, the big crops, um, the soy, the corn, the wheat. But the targets for us is actually pretty much three things. One is how do we reduce the amount of land... Um, second is to reduce the amount of water, and then third is to reduce the amount of nitrogen fertilizer. And um, that's how we look at it as this technology has just such a huge potential when it comes into the sustainability. And how we think about it is the current technology when it comes to developing the seeds, going back to my um, explanation earlier that GMO, so you insert for, foreign gene. So what happened? You could do only one gene at a time, because it's foreign gene. At max, you could do just two or three. But the issue is this problem of increasing the yield to re- reduce the land, the water, and fertilizer. All of these are complex, right? So absolutely, there's no way that you can touch only like one foreign gene and then identify one gene and fix it. For us, is actually the best way to solve is coming to the gene editing. You can touch more natural genes at the same time, so you can get into the true... Uh, full potential of the seed. So that's what we are focusing on for us is about sustainability. So proponents like both of you, I mean, I can understand the arguments, you know, targeting taste, you know, nutritional value, uh, purported benefits for higher yields and using less resources. Um, but, you know, critics would say that they're, you know, concerned about health, environmental, uh, you know, ethical, right, concerns. Um, what concerns, Tom, do you think among those are most valid in your view, and what, what are you doing to address it? Why so, do you do this work? Um, you know, it turns out 
there's the majority of consumers are not negative about technology and food. In fact, I think there's actually the younger consumers are, the more excited they are about new types of foods. It's probably 30% of consumers are actually fairly excited about new opportunities and they're looking for new things. It's about 20% that not, aren't going to like it no matter what. And then there's the whole group in the middle. So we're really working towards you know, identifying those who are going to be favorable towards the food. And the group and, in the middle. And they'll help bring the group in the middle. And then, you know, where you start with any technology is you're not just trying to do the technology. We're trying to address a problem. And frankly, the, the, I don't know, there's 200 people here. Um, 20 of you probably on average eat the recommended amounts of fruits and vegetables. So we're trying to take away the barriers for the other 180 of us that don't eat the amount of fruits and vegetables that we're supposed to by making it easier to eat fruits and vegetables and shift some of the diet and snackability of products to be things that are healthy rather than the things that are mass marketed that are not that healthy. So Ponzi, are there, like, what about unintended consequences, whether it's for the health or the environment? Like, are you not at all concerned? Um, so this comes into play that in reality, just to be in um, the gene editing area, whether you like it or not, the technology itself cannot have the full potential without machine learning and AI. And for us, it's the responsibility as a company, um, when we develop the product, so the part of how do you actually make sure that you sequence everything beforehand, and then once you're done, you actually sequence it again, and then you look at it in the greenhouse, and then you look at it in the field again, and so on. So the kind of thing that you have to be responsible, that this is not a simple thing that you do it in the kitchen, it's, it's actually pretty complex. So um, it's, it's responsibility of the operators there. I think if, yeah. if I could add, I think yeah, of one course. of the things that's important to recognize is what we're doing really builds on what we would call conventional breeding. When Ponzi says we're using natural genes and the things that are already in the crop, in fact, the variation that we're typically making with the CRISPR tools is something that you can find somewhere within that species. So we're accelerating bringing these things together. We're not creating so something that wasn't there So it could just before. be me. I don't, it could just be me, but like when I hear that, my ears perk up because like, it sounds a little bit like marketing because it isn't that you're you know, mating two plants in a greenhouse. I mean, it is different. You could accomplish the same thing much slower by mating two plants in a greenhouse. So if I could build on what, what Tom said, so things that we're doing actually can happen by nature. The question is, do we have what lifetime or do we have... 10 lifetime, or do we have 100 lifetimes, or do we have two lifetimes, and the answer is one. Um, so if we want to solve the problem of the food system, and if we want to solve the problem of sustainability of the nutrition, we just can't wait for nature to get into that point. Um, that's what we are trying to solve. The regulators in this situation with gene-edited foods seem pretty much convinced because it doesn't seem like they will be regulating gene-edited foods. Um, as closely as they did traditional GMOs. Um, so I guess my question is, like, we should be able to, like, precisely and quickly make these products. And I'm wondering why there hasn't been, you know, a big blockbuster product already yet. I think what's important is our regulatory system is focused on regulating the product. So the piece that's important for us to demonstrate is that the product is the same as a product that would have come from a traditional breeding. If not, it would have some of the extra pre-market regulatory um, requirements that, um, that any other GMO product would have. So it's really, there is a, an onus on us to demonstrate that it's something that could have been developed. And you know, it makes sense that it's the product that's regulated, not the way that you make the product. Um, 
Europe calls everything, whether it's breeding or not, they call it GMO. And then they give certain things an exemption from pre-market regulations if they've been done for a long time. There's a lot of, uh, I'd say, positive movement that, in fact, things like the war in Ukraine and some of the food prices and recognition of their needs to deal with climate, people are calling out that gene editing is um, one of the solutions. After the break, why haven't genetically engineered foods gone mainstream yet? Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. If it's so fast and precise to use, right, the science itself, why don't we have a big blockbuster you know, product out there that everyone's familiar with already? It, it will be. And it will be within the next um, one to four years. So traditional breeding, how long does it take, right? Seven to 12 years. GMO, how long does it take? 16 years. So therefore, it is about to come up with the prime time. Um, and I, I, I believe that absolutely within the next five years, um, you're going to see quite a lot more of those. So it's coming. Can you tell us a little bit? Tom, about your salads, right? I mean, are there other exciting sort of near-term applications? Yeah, I mean, we, as I mentioned, we will be launching our first product next year, and mm-hmm. we expect it to be a, a reasonably sized product. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple years behind that, we're making a blackberry that doesn't have any seeds. And then as we're working on creating stone fruit that don't have stones, so cherries without pits, but also to reduce the size of a cherry tree so that it can grow more like a bush so we can get them out of one clim- climatic region in Washington State where we grow all the cherries but be able to move, move them to other parts of the world and, and be more resilient with climate change and so on. So a number of changes like that are coming. They're going to take time for all of them to come out, but they will all occur much faster than they would have occurred with a traditional breeding path. Hansi, are there any near-term exciting you know, you said a few years. Yeah, for, for us, it's the, the yield to make use of land and essentially have the crops to have proper architecture, like, for example, soybeans, the soybeans that can have more pots per node, more seeds per plant, and um, heavier seed weight. That's essentially the kind of example of um, the, the architecture products that are coming. Okay. I'd like to turn to the consumer part of things again. I mean, you talked about... Um, because at the end of the day, it comes down to, like, are they going to eat this stuff? Are they not going to eat this stuff? So will we even know, like, when we're at the grocery store that we're running into this technology? Like, when we're yeah. shopping, will we even know that that's so, what we're buying? So, in, I mean, this is one of the nice things about produce is that we're planning to sell things fresh, and they're not all mixed together with ingredients. So it's a little bit different than some of the corn and soybean where mm-hmm. things get mixed in with everything. So we're creating a brand. Will they brand, be labeled beyond the, that, the, though? The, we're still working out the exact approach to labeling, but we're not going to. Our intention is to be transparent about technology, so we're not going to. Uh, the title isn't going to be you know gene edited foods, but we're not going to hide <laughs> from that. And you know, 
our marketing team is working on. Mm-hmm. We'll certainly have a QR code where you can go to get much more detail, but we you know, recognize that not everybody is going to follow that QR code. So we want people to be aware of what it is that we're selling them. But you know, it, it's not required to be labeled as um, bioengineered like mm-hmm. a GMO product is, mm-hmm. but we're looking for ways to transparently communicate the technology that's behind it. So Ponzi, when people go shopping again, you know, how do you get consumers to, to bet on this technology? Yeah, Organic. so I'll, I'll actually switch it and say that we know that the issue of the climate change, the issue of the food system are not going to go away and it's not linear and it has been proven over the past two and a half years. We can't predict, what we know for sure is we can't predict what's going to happen. So would we like to actually solve the sustainability um, benefit in our lifetime or would we give it to our next generations to solve it? And that would be the part that uh, we still need to have a dialogue and it's going to be ongoing and that's reality that it's not going to be overnight. So let me ask you this in terms of, again, you know, the, consumer, the, the topic of inflation is pervasive right now. I mean, it's, you know, for many consumers, like especially with inflation these days, ultimately what they care about is price and they just want to buy the least expensive. You know, maybe it is more nutritious, maybe it is better for them. Um, how do you compete with that? And I wonder, is it only for people with, you know, like more disposable income who could maybe afford these products in the middle? You know, our expectation is we'll be pricing the products in the range that's that's currently um, where things are sold. Mm-hmm. And there's a fairly broad range of, of of salad pricing, for instance, and we we're not going to be at the bottom of that range, but we're, we won't be at the very top either. So I think we're um, you know trying to be practical about you know how the farmers need to make money, and you know we can't take all the money away from the farmer, and we mm-hmm. can't take money away from other parts of the supply chain either. So I think um, you know ultimately though it's not going to be an, a product that's ch- charging you know, 25% more than everything else in the, in the supermarket. It'll be within the range that we see everything else okay. charged. I mean, does, does this technology mean that the seeds for farmers will be cheaper as well, or does it not automatically mean that? Um, so if you really look at, um, I was sharing earlier that the development of the GMO is, what, 16 years, right? So costing roughly around um, $130 million per product then when you come into this technology, we're talking about one-third of the time and we're talking about uh, one-tenth of the cost. So yes, um, absolutely in terms of cost development will come down significantly, but more importantly is um, the performance that um, this technology can give will be radical compared to the existing technology, which certainly would go up into the the benefit of um, of the farmers there, whereby you don't have the yield go, goes up without using more water, more resources. So, um, and ultimately is how do we get the the benefits um, to the farmers at the end? Mm-hmm. Um, Tom, I just wanted to go back to a grocery store for a second. Like, could you give us a little glimpse into what kind of conversations you've been having with retailers and you know others that you are trying to get this product to? Like, how does that work? Um, you know, so. We've been talking with people throughout the supply chain because mm-hmm. we're partnering with um, people um, in the middle that are doing the packer shipper piece, and we have been having conversations as well with early conversations with some retailers. And you know, the salad is this sort of sea of sameness, and produce is a really important part of bringing people into the grocery mm-hmm. store. So there's a lot of excitement about new, novel types of products that can and give um, consumers new, new reasons to come into the store. So I, we found uh, an enthusiasm about it. The 
know, the proof will be next year as we start to really sell it. But you're already starting to see a little bit of branding of strawberries and things like this where people are differentiating um, products in produce. And I think we're going to see a lot more choices and a lot more opportunity for people when they're reaching for a snack to reach for something that's, that's healthy and beneficial rather than something that just fills them up. That was Pairwise CEO Tom Adams and Inari CEO Ponzi Trevisvavet speaking with Wall Street Journal Chicago Bureau Chief Joanna Chung at our Global Food Forum in June. We want to hear from you. Would you eat foods that have been gene-edited with CRISPR? Why or why not? Do you see any difference between that and older types of GMOs? Let us know. We're on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts. The Future of Everything is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Stephanie Ilgenfritz is the editorial director of The Future of Everything. This episode was produced by me, Danny Lewis. Jessica Fenton is our sound designer. Scott Salloway is our supervising producer. And Kateri Yokum is The Wall Street Journal's executive producer of audio. Thanks for listening. <laughs>